Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Well, hello there. This is Susan Pinkney, your host of the Southern Belle of Beverly Hills on the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Today's episode is titled, The Least of These. My question is, how do you treat people who you perceive can't do anything for you? And I use perceive on purpose because, yeah, there's going to be times where the good Christian thing to do would be to go out of your way for someone, period. Yes, it would be great if it turned into one of those stories where you find out later in life, like, oh, and that person turned out to be the owner of a car dealership. And because I filled up his tank with gas when he left his wallet at home, he just gave me and my family a car or, you know, one of those great stories that you hear about someone doing a random act of kindness, but they turned out that the act of kindness for was for someone who could build their life or their future or whatever. But that's not always the case. Sometimes there's just people who might need a little help, might need a helping hand. Everyone has a story. So how do you treat those people? Even on a day where you're in a hurry or you don't want to provide any money because you don't know how they're going to spend it or, you know, what's happening in their lives, do you make eye contact? Do you say hello? How do you treat those people? So I was thinking about all of these things for lots of different reasons. And my thought has been in general about how people, human beings, treat each other in general. I'm not going to make this particularly about race or prejudices things that have been dominating the headlines for very good reasons, things that are finally being brought to light, things that are hard for people to understand if they've never lived it themselves, things that seem ludicrous and ridiculous if you've never been the one who has been followed around in a grocery store while wearing your heels and a business suit but they're following you because you're black and you're carrying a, a large purse. I'm not going to focus on those things. I'm so grateful that the whole world right now is being a little bit more aware and enlightened and concerned and hearing that change has to happen. Not just the lip, you know, not just speaking about it. Lip service is not going to work this time but actually making change happen. So I'm not gonna discuss those things, wink, wink. We're going to talk about generalizations. So just to kind of bring it back and to get back on a lighter note, I'm gonna talk about a time where I was definitely in the wrong. Let's be real. I was 16 years old, just got my driver's license, and I was going to my very first concert in Virginia. It was a Prince concert. Yes, I said I was 16. Yes, I went to a Prince concert. Don't judge. 
when we went to the concert, I remember, I don't even know how we got our tickets. Obviously I was working. Um, I know I, I probably saved my money for work. Like, I don't know what the process was in those days because did we have to actually go to Ticketmaster? Was there like a place to buy them? I don't know. Cause certainly we weren't buying them online. So I don't even know how we got our tickets, but anyway, just, just a little aside there. So we went to the Coliseum in Hampton, Virginia, which was a bridge ride away from where I lived. I asked my mom if I could um, borrow the car so that we could go to a concert. And I know I did not say exactly where that concert was going to be. She agreed to let me go because she knew that I knew where I was allowed to go and where I was not allowed to go. And for the record, I was not allowed to drive the car over a bridge through the tunnel to Hampton, Virginia to see Prince in concert. So anyway, my friends and I went to see Prince perform. It was an amazing concert, of course, duh, it was Prince. And there were these guys sitting behind us. I don't know exactly how old they were, but my guess would be that they were probably early 20s or so. And they kept trying to have a conversation with us like all throughout the concert. Mind you, I'm 16. I'm wearing this big bulky sweater that had fake like varsity letter patches on it and a skirt and some loafers. I don't remember what my friends had on, but we were all dressed kind of similarly. We looked like we were in high school. I'm not saying that there was anything torrid or anything unsavory or in any way whatsoever. These guys were not um, being inappropriate with us at all. Mostly because every time they tried to comment on something that was happening on stage or ask us questions or ask what our names were or ask what our story was, we ignored them. We would, one of us would turn around and give a really quick, sharp answer and turn back around to watch the show because that's what we were there for. And they just kept trying to engage us in a friendly manner and... If I recall, we were in the minority there. The majority of people in, in the concert venue were white. So it could have just been the kinship thing. Like, hey guys, you know, we're here, you're here. Let's just talk. Let's, we're all discussing this concert. You know, we're watching together. I'm not sure exactly what was going on. But I do know that they were interrupting us watching Prince and they kept trying to have a conversation while we were watching Prince. It was not necessary. We were at a concert, we were enjoying the show. So Prince had an intermission on this particular concert and then eventually those guys got up and left. Once they got up and left, we were like, oh, okay, that's so awesome. We're glad they're gone, good. You know, they were just getting on our nerves. And we had that little like high school cheerleader mentality where we have these little attitudes anyway. Again, don't judge, you know, this was how it was. And so they went, they just, you know, disappeared and we were happy. The show started again. They did not return. We were like, okay, great. So now we can watch in peace and they won't be bothering us. Well, as Prince came back on stage and started performing, he started singing a song called, Hey Little Walter. The theme sounded very similar to the old spiritual waiting in the water, but he was saying, Hey, little Walter, which was a song by Tony, Tony, Tony years ago. Then all of a sudden, 
as Prince is singing, bouncing a basketball, the three guys who were sitting behind us walk on stage with him and Prince says, everybody, here's Tony, Tony, Tony. And we felt silly. Who knows, maybe we would have been able to go and meet Prince. Maybe we would have been able to, I don't know, have a different concert experience, been closer to the stage. Who knows? But because we were not even just courteous or nice or kind enough to turn around, engage for a few minutes, introduce ourselves, then turn back around and continue watching the concert, because we didn't give them that much courtesy, we possibly missed out on an opportunity. And I have to say, it was that moment in life that I had an epiphany that I would always treat people the way I wanted to be treated, period. Doesn't matter if you're sitting on the sidewalk because you live there, doesn't matter if you are the CEO of a company, I'm gonna treat everyone the way I want to be treated, period, point blank, the end. And I had that epiphany at 16. And yes, we learned it, you know, for a 16 year old, we learned it the hard way. Makes for a great story, but we, you know, we could have done better. But what I can say is at least we were 16. At least we were young enough where we still didn't know better. And it's okay because you're not expected to know everything at that age. In the Bible, in Matthew, I believe Matthew 25, 40, Jesus talks about whatever you do for the least of these brothers and sisters, you do for me. That's a very profound way to look at human decency. If for no other reason, out of fear, it would seem that people would be kind and treat each other with courtesy and respect. I remember Omarosa, Omarosa, the one who was on The Apprentice, um, you know, she's had an acting career. I think she had a couple like game shows or something, or she was on a dating show. Anyway, Omarosa, who later, of course, worked in the White House. She told a story about Bethany Frankel and how when Bethany Frankel was trying to get on Martha Stewart's version of The Apprentice, she came to her for help to ask for tips and advice and those kind of things and took a cab to meet her in New York City. Bethany didn't have cab fare. Omarosa paid her cab fare for her. That's what people do. You have it and someone else doesn't. I'm not saying allow yourself to be taken advantage of, but that's what people do. Bethany Frankel herself talks about how she had every odd job there was in the world and how she had very tough and very lean times. And we know how this story ends. It ends with Bethany Frankel selling the liquor portion of her Skinny Girl brand to Jim Beam Selling it for $180 million, I should say. That's probably very important there. Staying on as a board member and also keeping the name Skinny Girl as her own to start other companies. This grown woman who obviously times were very hard for her prior to her time on the Real Housewives of New York. I think she even talked about how her bank account had 
I'm going to say it was less than $100. might have been a couple hundred dollars in her bank account when she started the show. But she knew her worth and she knew her value. And she didn't just sign the contract. She read through it and said that if she started any businesses while on the show, they would be hers. And of course, Skinny Girl is a brand that people try to emulate. I say that to say, I never thought that I would ever in life be perceived as the least of these. So I came from a world where whatever I wanted, I could buy. Whatever I needed, I worked, made the money, made it happen. Even in college, I worked as an editor for my local newspaper. It wasn't the local newspaper in that town, but it was a local newspaper in that town. And I always had an income, whether it was working in retail jewelry or whatever. I always worked. I always had an income. And I am no stranger to hard work. So fast forward to when I decided that I wanted to earn a little extra money in Los Angeles and decided to sign up. And it was simply a sign up. You know, they want to make sure you're legal to work. And then you sign up. Sign up to work for a company that placed background actors. Yes, y'all, what you call extras, we call background actors when it's in television and only extras when it's in commercials. So I signed up with a company that basically has the lock on most of the entertainment industry in Los Angeles. And whenever you see background atmosphere, as they are sometimes called, which should be offensive in itself, but we'll get to that. Uh, atmosphere, as they're called, they usually come from the same company. And there's a group of people, core people, who actually earn a very good living doing background work. Of course, I didn't know that the first time that I decided to do it. I had no idea. All I knew was me coming someone who had done and continued to do some principal work, some hosting work, production work, someone who had professional work experience in professional sports went to a job opportunity where the only requirement was that you were living, breathing, and had a social security number. You can see based on those job requirements why some people might look down on the group as a whole. And before I get into that, what I learned from doing background work was that people who do that work are just as varied and as vast and come from all parts of life all ethnic groups, all backgrounds, all economic backgrounds. And when you do that work, you're sometimes making, okay, the principals are always gonna make the most on the show. That's a given, duh. Okay, the people, the names you know, the leads in the show, they're always gonna make the most. But outside of them, you're pretty much making the same or more money 
than everybody else on set. And I did say everybody else on set because actors have a very good union and that union supplies our pension. And it also, based on um, how many hours you work per year, will make you qualified to have their insurance, like health insurance. So there are some people that you would recognize from major commercials or major television shows who regularly do background work. But what's interesting is there are people who are working on set who are making less money than the background actors who are treating them poorly as a group, extremely poorly as a group. It's not everyone, of course. It's not even close to everyone. But it's a lot of people who view background actors as the lowest man on the totem pole, like are disrespectful to levels that human beings should not be disrespected. And sometimes I would sit on set quietly watching things happening around me or listening to conversations around me and trying to understand why it was necessary for certain people to try to be derogatory or berate or just treat people poorly in general. And in my conclusion is that those people themselves have probably been looked at as less than or felt like they were low or I feel superior to you, you're inferior, you're less than I am. To try to understand bad behavior, I know is a waste of time. It, it doesn't make sense for me to try to understand something that's not explainable. Recently in the news, there was an actress who tried to send a positive message and some of her old coworkers came back and talked about how she treated them on set. She is very well known amongst people who have done background work. The statement that was attributed to her with her calling background actors cockroaches, that was long since talked about, like everybody who works in the industry knows exactly that she said it. And some people who may have worked on that show as a regular may have even heard it themselves. So, so none of that is a surprise to us. But what's funny is being in a situation where I have gotten to know a lot of these people, I have met some of the most kind and wonderful and well-connected people in Hollywood. So what's ironic about background actors being treated so poorly on set and what's ironic about people like just automatically judging a whole group is they're kissing the butts of people that they think can do something for them or someone that they think can elevate them to the next place in their career or whatever. But you literally have people who do production work or who do casting. There's a woman that I met on set who does regular work for a daytime talk show. It's one of the big three networks, one of the biggest daytime talk shows, and she does a regular segment with them. In addition to that, her kid starred in a show that's one of the biggest Hulu hits ever. 
and she regularly does background work. But again, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that she has good advice and can tell you how to, you know, up your career or, you know, has connections and can call people and put you in touch with them. None of that should matter. What should matter is that everybody is a human being. And not to say that everyone in Beverly Hills or everyone in Southern California is looking for the come up. And if you can't provide them with the come up that they don't want anything to do with you, because that's not true either. Also, if we wanna go a little bit more famous than a daytime talk show talent, let's talk about Brad Pitt. One of the memories that Brad Pitt loves to reflect on as he talks about his time in Hollywood, he loves to talk about his background acting career. He loves to talk about how he tried to force a line. He loves to talk about how that helped him become who he is today. It's interesting how people see themselves in this weird hierarchy that's based on nothing. So I have to ask, and I don't have the answer, do people have an innate need to treat people poorly, to want to be better than? Do they have a need to place a less than human image so that it allows them to continue to be hateful and ugly? Because once you believe that someone is just as human as you are, and once you believe that even though they're not doing the same work that you're doing, or they may not look like you, or they may not speak the same language that you speak, or they may not have a home to go home to, but once you realize that every person is the same, we all have different stories, we all have different backgrounds, our humanity is the same. We're all people, we're all God's children. And whatever you do to your brothers and sisters, you do to him. So my question is, when will people start seeing everyone as somebody's child? So until people stop generalizing and creating lies and assumptions and stories that aren't true to justify their bad behavior, we're always gonna find ourselves in a situation where one day you realize that you should be embarrassed by your choices. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this show, please rate and subscribe on iTunes or find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts, as well as Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find me, yeah, girl, at SUZQ90210, SUZQ90210 on Instagram and Twitter. And if you're interested in advertising, please do, guys. Contact Believe at Believe.com. Thank you. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Believe. 
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.